Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6? If you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. I had a friend, this is many years ago, and his, he was struggling to get one of his sons off of a binky. His son was moving to the age of about three, and he said, you know, for him and his wife, it was kind of this big battle of how important it was or how, how not important it was. And then he said this thing. He said, you know, you know, Brent, as I, as I started wrestling with my wife, being like, my son can't have a binky. He's getting old, and this is going to be so much trouble. He's just like, I looked around, like I was at a school, and I noticed that there wasn't a single high school kid walking around with a binky in their mouth. And so he said, at some point, I figure like they, they actually figured it out. They, they realized that the binky wasn't the way to soothe themselves. Now, how, how ridiculous and how comical would it be for a grown adult to be like, you know what, I'm a little stressed out right now. Can you get me the binky? I'm just, I'm feeling my hands are getting a little sweaty. You know, maybe it was a first date, like, hang on, I'm a little nervous. Let me put this, dink, this binky in here, right? Like, how, how ridiculous would it be for an adult to try and soothe themselves with a, with a device that's used for very, very little kids? It seems incredibly ridiculous to do so. And yet, and when we look at, at, at the way that, that God has created us and he has made us to, to operate, many of us take the very things that we are meant to be used for his glory and we use them as crutches and ways to bring about our own selfish gain. Many of us take the things that God wants for us to use in life and, and things that, that would be completely fine for us to do and we make them something more than they were supposed to be. I mean, it is completely fine for me as an adult to say, I want a binky today to soothe myself. Like, it's totally allowed, but is it really beneficial? Is that the right way for me to cope or to, to healthily move forward in things? Is that, the, is that the right way to go about it? Is that what we're supposed to do? And, and this is kind of the, the subject that we get in 1 Corinthians as we just came out of the, the vice list like we talked about last week and all the different things that, that people were doing that were, were operating, which just isn't true to the character of anyone that's a part of the kingdom of God. And, and as we move forward here, we dig into this, this section where, again, we have to remember the church at Corinth was in such a bad spot. The church in Corinth was, was full of, of so many different people that were new to faith, people that had been following God for, for maybe 18 months or so, and it was just a, a, a very, very, very messy church. As we see through the rest of this letter, we see all the ways with which the, the believers in Corinth were wrestling to understand, to apply, to, to know what it means to really live in light of the culture they were a part of and true to God who has created them and they are surrendered to. And that's the wrestle that's going on in, in Corinth at this time. And again, there were many, many ways with which they had struggled. Today, uh, we get to a slogan or a statement where, where the argument is based on things that have been most likely quoted or said on a regular basis in the church in Corinth. And, and as we go through here, we'll see what God does through his scripture. So if you will, read with me in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. But, all not, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for, for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so just coming out of the vice list, just before he goes into the principles of marriage, we, we land in this section right here, where he's, he spends a little bit more time looking at one of the vices that was talked about in the beginning, which is sexual immorality. It's where we get our word pornography from. It's, it's a general term that means any sexual activity outside of a, of a, of a marriage before God, any kind. And, and we can say it even goes further into not just physical acts, but we see that pornography is one of the things as well. Lusting in our minds would be considered sexual immorality by the way that God uses the scripture and defines it. Sexual immorality has no place in the kingdom of God. That's what we said last week. But yet he spends a little bit more time here. Now, now, why is that? Because what was happening is the people in Corinth were taking most likely things that the Apostle Paul, when he was planting the church, had said to them, and he was using them against Scripture. He was using them to justify the way that they could sin. He was taking things like, they were saying things like, oh, well, obviously all things are lawful for me. So he's, he, in this conversation, most likely, at some point there was a conversation about what is the Mosaic law and how are we to operate in this new covenant with Christ. And they were talking, he was talking about those things where, look, look, there's laws, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's surrendered to Christ and his work and what you're doing. And so what they were saying is, is all things are lawful, but, but he says, look, not everything's helpful. So a lot of what was happening is the, is the Corinthians were saying things like, well, you know, it's totally lawful. It doesn't really matter. Like we, we talked about at the very beginning of the intro, that the Corinthian people had a disdain or a, a false or a really unhealthy belief of their body. They figured since everything that they were in a hyper-spiritual way so that the body just didn't matter. So the body could do whatever it wanted to. It could, it could eat whatever it wanted. The body could operate however it wanted. It, didn't, it could do whatever they wanted to sexually. And it just didn't matter because they were of the spirit, no longer of the body. They had tried to separate the two. And what we're seeing here is God in his word is trying to show them like, look, look, you've been completely wrong. And so when they say things like, well, the stomach is, is for food and food for the stomach and both are gonna be burned up, that, that is a statement that's lending to the sense of saying, hey, if you're hungry, it's, a, it's an appetite, feed it. Well, if you're, if you're in need of sexual arousal, well, then feed it. It's the body. And temple prostitutes were so common there. In fact, there was, there was Aphrodite temple there. It would have been 1,000 prostitutes on place. And it would have been a place that anyone and everyone could go and worship Aphrodite through sexual, sexual activity. This was such a common thing. And he's saying, look, just because everyone in the culture is doing it, just because it's allowed, the culture says it's totally fine, doesn't mean it's helpful. Doesn't mean that it's helpful. It doesn't mean that we should be doing these things. All these, these slogans, there's three of them, really. They're short, they're, they're, they're per proverbial, they reflect kind of a libertine wing of the church, and most likely they were a requote of what the Apostle Paul, when he was founding the church, had said, and just a complete misuse of it. And so when they said the stomach is for this, then we obviously mean that the, the body needs sex, and so therefore we should, shouldn't deprive it, just like we wouldn't deprive the, st the stomach. And at the end of the day, they all burn up anyway, so who cares? Just move on. 
And that's where he's at in here. But, but if you look at Galatians 5.1, we see that for freedom Christ has set us free. And then comes the comment, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If there's a freedom that has been given to us in Christ, then why would we ever give ourselves to bondage? Why would we ever submit ourselves back under the sin of slavery and, and allow slavery to rule us? Just down a little bit further in 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We don't necessarily use the statement, all things are lawful. That's probably not something that's in our language, but we probably say things like, you know what? It's not that big a deal anyways. You know, my sexuality is my own business. It doesn't really affect anyone else. Or we say things like, like I, you know what? I can do whatever I want to do because I'm supposed to be happy. I want to be happy. And God wants me to be happy, so wouldn't he want me to do what makes me happy? Again, maybe our, our slogans, our, our statements, our, our, our common speeches or sentences that we would use are different than what the Corinthians do. But I feel like the same is true of the church today. Many of us would, would justify our own actions in hopes to free up the, the guilt, guilt that we may feel from living for ourselves as opposed to a part of the kingdom of God that he has saved us for and created us for. May it not be so. So what they were saying is since everything is permitted and since food is for the stomach and the stomach for the food, after all, God will destroy them both. And since all bodily appetites are pretty much alike, that means that body is for sex and sex for the body. Because God will destroy them both. In the end, it doesn't really matter but they couldn't be more wrong. Just like we couldn't be more wrong, the idea of having any form of a sexual relationship before marriage that may be okay for our culture is completely wrong when it comes to the truth of God's word and the characterization of us in the kingdom of God, like we talked about last week. He says this at the beginning. He says, everything is, everything is per, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. This means profitable. This is kind of, it means to, to be to an advantage. He's saying, look, this may be allowed, but is it really, really profitable? And what we, what we need to understand right now, let me just say this as clearly as possible. God may take the sinful choices you make and use that in breaking you down and bringing you back to him, but no sin is ever profitable. There isn't a single sin that God says, oh, finally you did that so that I can do what I need to do in you. All sin is not helpful. And it shouldn't be hard for us to realize that because we've seen the fractures that come from the sinfulness of our own decisions or the others around us. We've seen how, how sexual sin has fractured families. We've seen, the, we've seen the, the pain that is caused when someone gives themselves to bondage. And yet many of us, many of us believe that sexual activity has freedom to do whatever we want to do with it. It's, it's, not that, it's not that God hates sex. In fact, God created it. In fact, we see in, in the same, Proverbs, same chapter of Proverbs, we see that, that first Proverbs 5, 3 through 6 says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, most of us may say honey or oil. We don't really get that. But if you put essential oils in there, maybe they'd be excited about it. But, <clears throat> but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. The enticement that comes from any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage is, is smoother than honey. It's, it's something that entices us. It's, it's not good, it's bad. But yet in the same chapter, God says this. 
inside of the true design of biblical marriage, one male, one female, submitted to God in a covenant before him. He says this in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. It's not, that, it's not that, the, that God is trying to show us that sex is all bad. He's saying, no, I created sex to be a very beautiful thing. In fact, it's, it's such a beautiful thing that we're going to see here, and just like he talked about in Genesis, that when two become one flesh, this happens. There's a, there's a purpose. It was created for a reason. Sex is a very, very good thing. But when we interact in sexual morality, we do something that, that we have to see. We, we pull Christ into this. Let me, let me talk about this a little bit here now. Before we go on, it's not that we are going to in any way taint Christ. It's that we're going to taint his reputation among others. Which, let's just say that, like Christ isn't going to be destroyed by our sinfulness, but it will be really, really clear if you, your coworkers say, don't you, don't you claim to, to love Christ? Why do you keep sleeping at your boyfriend's house? Why do you keep doing those things? Is, it, is that really like what you believe? Like those don't seem, I mean, that's what I do, but I don't go to church or plan, claim to surrender to Jesus Christ. I don't live that way. So you, you, you taint his image to the world around you. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, we're going to get into this a lot when we get further down in Corinthians. But what, we're, what he's talking about here is he's saying, look, every single person that is a child of God, that has submitted their life to God, you've become a part of Christ. He's the head. You're a part of the body. This is where we are to use the body parts to glorify him and to build each other up. This is what the purpose is here. He's saying, you are not your own. You are part of Christ's body. And then he goes on and says, Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So what he's saying is, is when, we, when we give ourselves sexually to something, there's actually a combination that happens that's greater than just physical. And let me, let me just say this, and, and if you're in here and you're like, man, I, this is a lot more deeper than I wanted to go, I'm sorry, okay? But when, when, you, when you enter into sexual activity with someone, it is not just a physical thing. And you know this if your heart has been broken, you know this if you've done this. You've known the, the turmoil and the struggles and the pain that comes from sexual activity outside of marriage. You've seen the tearing and the pulling, and you've seen how it's, it's caused you to, to feel like you're, you're more inclined to stay with someone longer because of it. There's, there's so many more things emotionally and physically going on, but that's not even what he's talking about here. He's saying, look, sex was done one thing. He says, says the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 3. He's quoting, he's quoting God and saying, a man shall leave his mother and a father shall leave his and they shall be joined together and become one flesh. He's not saying that sex makes you one flesh. He's not making some kind of justification. There has to be a marriage covenant in there, but he's saying that sex is the continuation, the completion or the, the added into that one flesh. So then when we as children of God, like we talked about last week, when we choose to operate outside of the way God created us, we cause all sorts of problems, not only for ourselves, but for the community of God. And at the end of the day, we are operating in sexual immorality in a way that it just has no place or no business to be a part of the kingdom of God. We aren't to live that way. The quotation from Genesis must be read in context as affirming the intimacy and the commitment that sexual intercourse should imply. It does not offer any justification for claiming that sex by itself constitutes a marriage. I wrote it this way in my notes. His concern is not with what affects and does not affect the body per se. Now, this is important because he says a little bit further down, he says, look, this is, don't you realize that all sins are outside the body, but this one is? Now, what about gluttony and what about all the other ways that sin happens within the body. He's not, 
He's not tying up and saying that sexual immorality is the only one that affects both the body and everything else doesn't. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying it this way. He's saying, but with the special character of sexual immorality and how that sin is directed especially against the body as for the Lord, in fornicating with a prostitute, a man removes his body, which is a temple of the Spirit, purchased by God and destined for resurrection, from union with Christ and makes it a member of her body, thereby putting it under her mastery. Every other sin apart from, not in the body, is in the singular sense. So what he's saying is, is right at the beginning, everything is lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. He's saying when you give yourself to something like this, you will be dominated by it. You, you know this. Every single one of us know this. If you spent any time in your life growing up, you realize that there are things about certain sins that are, that are somewhat intoxicating. And it starts small and it continues to go and continues to go and continues to go. And many of us heard, oh, the slippery slope. Oh, I'm so tired of that. It's very true when it comes to sexual morality because a little peak isn't enough for too long. And you'll continue to go and go and go. This is how people get completely addicted to pornography. This is how people can lose complete satisfaction in their marriage and start looking lustfully at other people. Like it just, it just goes, it just goes and it just goes. And sooner or later when you, connect yourself to someone like this. You're going to find yourself in a spot where you're enslaved by it. It's controlling you. It's, it's mastering you. That's what this is saying. In verse 19, he talks about us being a temple. Well, in, in chapter 3, verse 16, he had talked about how the body of believers was the temple. The body of the believers was the temple. And so he's saying, this time he's saying, no, you individually are the temple of God. Now, Again, to us, we're like, oh, cool, temple. That doesn't really mean much. Like, it's, it's kind of to us, it's like you are the building. That doesn't make much sense. To them, the temple held the place for worship. Even, even the pagan gods had temples to worship in. To them, they understood that the temple was where God's holiness was and dwelt. And he's saying, look, no, no, no. As the body of believers, he's not just saying you collectively. Now he's saying you personally, you child of God, you are the temple of God. You. You house the Holy Spirit of God in you. That's who you are. And so in all of these situations, as he digs deeper into this one vice right here, just before he starts talking about marriage and the purposes of sex and marriage and everything else, so we'll keep talking about it there as we move forward. But he, he, in all of these things, he says, look, here's like nine reasons or eight reasons why not to do it. One is you're part of Christ's body. Why in the world would you try and marry up or pair Christ's body to, to something, to an unbeliever, to a prostitute, or why would you give yourself sexually this way? It you, you doesn't make sense either because you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That means when you go and sin this way, you are taking the Spirit of God with you and doing it. Like we learned in Hebrews where Christ is anchoring us into the throne room of God. When we choose to sin, we don't leave the throne room of God as sin. We bring the sin into the throne room of God. He's saying this doesn't make sense for believers. This isn't congruent. This doesn't, this doesn't the way that the world's supposed to be. Now, the culture around you may say it's okay. And people may say, oh, but you really love each other. You know what? It's just, it's just a few months before you've actually entered that covenant. It's okay. You, you, can, you, can, you can do that. But it's not true to the character of God. It's not true to what he's saying. He goes on and says that the Lord has become, we have become one with him. Now, all over scripture we see, we see this beautiful beautiful picture when you think about end times and everything that, get, that God aligns Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. It's this, it's this picture of Christ awaiting his wedding ceremony for the bride and coming together. We have become one with Christ. 
So when you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, you're one with him. So when you try to bring something else into that that isn't true of Christ, you're, you're, you're bringing it into there. So there's reason upon reason upon reason to not give yourself to sexual immorality. But really, at the end of the day, in this text, he gives us two brilliant commands. I mean, brilliant commands, that if we just submitted ourselves to these commands and gave ourselves to these things, I really feel like this would be kind of a, a less of a conversation that we need to have about sexual immorality. The first one he says is he says it kind of, he kind of just lobs it right in the middle, right? He says, flee, <laughs> flee from sexual immorality. Now, have you ever watched nature shows? Okay, I'm, I'm probably ruining my kids for one way or the other. They're either going to be vegans or uh, avid hunters. I don't know what's going to happen, okay? Because we watch a lot, we love a lot of the discovery and planet Earth and some of those things. And there's this one called The Hunt, where it's all these animals hunting other animals. So it doesn't get gruesome, like I promise, okay? But it's, it's anyways. And what happens is, have you ever noticed the gazelle? Like the gazelle and the cheetah, it's one of the ones you always go to and you're always excited because they're both so fast. It's so fun to watch them run. Have you ever noticed that, that when a cheetah comes on scene, the gazelle doesn't go, oh, hey, buddy, what you doing? Come on over. You know what, hey, you know what? You and I don't usually get along, but I think we should have a cup of tea. Why don't you come into my house? Why don't you spend some time with me? Let, me? let me show you who I am, and maybe you'll see me more than just a meal. He doesn't ever pause to do that. He gets up and runs. He flees. He runs as fast as he can. But yet you and I, when it comes to sexual morality, we invite it into our house, and we try to force it into submission, and we try to train it to sit, when the entire time all it wants to do is devour us. He says, flee, run. Not like dozy or not like, oh, I should probably not be here. It mean, that means when there are situations that, that you are um, needing to refrain from or friendships with people that, that may turn into improper attraction or, or dating relationships that, that require you to, to abstain from any kind of bodily com, uh, contact or any kind of sexual de, uh, uh, desire or avoiding places that make pornography more acceptable and easier for you to do. It means in all of those situations, you don't sit there and go, I wonder if this is going to get me. You get up and you hightail it, and you run as fast as you can away from it. As extreme as that may be, the gazelle lives if he does that. The same is true of us. We are to run, flee sexual morality. That means if you're in a dating relationship before marriage, that means that you set up healthy boundaries, and you believe in the value, not because abstinence is what God commands of us, because he says flee it. And let me, let me go one step further. First uh, uh, Thessalonians says this, 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, what is the will of God? Your sanctification. That you what? Abstain from sexual immorality. It's the exact same word that's used here in our text. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you see that the polarization there is they don't know God. So we can't expect anything different than them. You do. You know God flee, run, don't sit by, don't wait to see what happens, don't continue the relationship because you're hoping something better will happen. You're hoping that some kind of change will be in place. Run from it, run from it, run from it, run from it. That's what he says, he says, flee it. Tells us later on to flee idolatry. There's, there's a, a common theme here, guys. When it comes to sin, don't dabble, don't play with it, don't try to force it into submission, don't bring it in for tea and see what can happen. Run from it, run from it. Every single atrocious marriage that ends up in painful adultery of some kind all started with them not running at the very beginning. Let me give you a biblical example of that. Genesis 39, Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Remember this, remember this story? 
Joseph's sold into slavery, and he ends up working for Potiphar, becomes the head of his household. Well, Joseph's a young, strapping man, and Potiphar is, Potiphar's wife is digging him, right? She's like into him, and so she keeps soliciting him. He's like, why would I do that? Why would I sin against God? Your master's withheld anything, every, nothing from me except for you. Why would I ever do that? And he keeps doing it, keeps doing it. And the exact same word that we get in this text is the same word in the Greek that we get in, in Genesis. He runs. What happens is, is Potiphar, when no one's in the house, grabs him by his, by his cloak, right? What, is, what does Joseph do? He doesn't say, hey, please let go. He doesn't say, you know, let's sit down and talk about it. He literally runs outside of his wardrobe. He just takes off, runs out naked, out the door. Not naked, he's got some clothes, but he's, his cloak is left in her hand and he just takes off running. Why? Because he sees that staying will cause more sin and more struggles. Flee sexual morality, guys. Run from it. That means abstain from movies, even though it's like, ah, it doesn't really bother me. No, run from it. Stop, stop doing what the culture would say. It's okay. It's a really popular show. Just watch it. Who cares if there's a bunch of sex scenes? I'm sure it doesn't affect you. Or you're the one person that somehow can just completely ignore that. It is playing with fire and we are meant to flee it. Like every single thing on that vice list, guys, that we talked about last week, none of them are meant to be toyed with. We're supposed to run. The second command that comes in this text, which I think is so beautiful, and for me is the motivation for all of it, is he says at the very, very end, he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Have you ever been robbed? Have you ever experienced something being taken from you? Like, it's, it's usually it's stuff, and it's like, oh, man, I can't believe they took that, and I've had my car broken in a couple times. Like, my worst ever was back when I was in, like, I want to say high school, but I was probably in college, so shh, it's okay. But I had the, the CDs. This is going to date me. You guys, some of you are like, what are CDs, right? But the book of CDs, they had all those CDs. And this is before I could really, I was smart enough to know how to put them on the computer. It was uh, totally available, but I didn't know how to do that. And I remember my, my, my vehicle got broken into, and they stole my CDs. And I was so bummed because it's like, oh, man, now i got to buy all those CDs again. And that was like all my music, and it felt like vulnerable. Anyways, if you've been robbed at any point, the, the point of the story is not CDs, okay? <laughs> There's that, like, that vulnerability, that feeling like, hey, my, what, was, what belongs to me was taken from me. And, and again, it's just stuff. But you, as a child of God, were bought with a heavy price. You were bought with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his life up for you. So when you surrender to him as Lord, when you give yourself to him and say, I want to follow you, you, you literally die to yourself and you become his property. So this is why being enslaved by any other sin would be foolishness because you already have a master, it's Christ. This is why it's absolutely ridiculous for us to give ourselves to sin because we're owned. And when we give ourselves to something else, we're robbing Christ of what is his. We're taking from him saying, I, I love you as a master, that's great, but I want to give myself to this. And you, you can deal with that. And again, there's grace for that. And I, I, I know that God isn't up there shaming us for that. But when we do it, it makes no sense. But that's not even the reason why I think that motivation becomes behind this. It's right after what he just says, you're bought with a price. He says, so glorify God in your body. So I would change the very beginning. Everything is lawful, but is it helpful? I would say, everything is lawful, but does it glorify God? There's the motivation for our living. Does the way that you are interacting in your relationship, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many other things of the vice list that you're just nailing it, like I got it down, and I'm just giving myself, does what you are doing today glorify God? Because that is the purpose of our lives. In everything we do, we are to glor glorify God. We are to honor him in every way. What does it mean for us to glorify God? It means to give ourselves entirely to him. It means to 
live our lives entirely for his purpose. It means that instead of picking up the binky to soothe, even though I can do that right now, I might find that, that God has a better way for me to live. I might realize that there's actually scripture that talks about what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to treat my wife, how I'm supposed to treat my kids, how I'm supposed to operate within community. What does submission look like? What does it mean to, to be free from sexual immorality and what does it mean to flee it? It means that he has given us ways through his scripture to say, this is what it means to live a part of my kingdom and anything outside of this just does not match. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. We are to not in any way, shape, or form give ourselves to anything else because we have been bought with a price. You're not even your own if you've given yourself to Christ. And some of us, that's the, that's the root of the issue. The root of the issue is we still feel like we have our own purpose and our own things and we're all doing it our own way. And God says, no, 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 you don't realize it. Everything good that's in you is my spirit that's in you, which is why you are a temple. So when you choose to give yourself to these other things, you're living contrary to the way I created you to be. We just talked about this a few weeks ago. When we abide, when we remain in his commands, we experience everlasting joy. To, to submit ourselves to his commands will bring everlasting joy. The promises of sexual morality or any other sin is that you'll get some kind of joy in this. And if you've spent any time, any of your life dealing with those things, you realize that they always are empty promises. No matter how good they seem, sooner or later they fall flat on the face, leaving you sadder with more consequences, dealing with more struggles because of the pains of the choices you've made, fracturing families, fracturing community in all different ways. In Ephesians, I don't have this slide for you, but um, in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, it says, a man shall leave his father and a mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is, um, again, being quoted of Jesus saying it in the, in the gospel, also being quoting Genesis 3. It says, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This, uh, this mystery is, a profa- is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Hear this, guys. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the price he paid. Christ loves his bride. He loves the church. He gave his life up for her. You are the church. As a child of God, he gave himself up for you. Not just a broad term church. Put your name in there. He gave himself up for Bren. He says, I paid this price. That's the price he pays. That he might sanctify her, complete her, right? So that he might, listen to this, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. One scholar said it this way. It says, King Jesus came into the world to take a wife, not a harem, and not for sex, but to give her pleasures that make sex taste like cardboard. He paid for her with his life, and he is now at work by his spirit and by his word, purifying and beautifying her for himself and for her joy. Guys, we have a wedding day coming. You have something more beautiful than anything you can give yourself to this world coming, and that's with Christ. And he is, he is sanctifying you. He's making you more and more like himself, and so that when we celebrate, you can enjoy the feast without the pain and the consequences that come. Yes, God has grace for the sins, but so many of us use that as a reason to sin. He's saying, I'm making you more and more like me. We aren't meant to take our freedom and misuse it. Nor are, we to stop, nor are we to stop walking by the Spirit. It would be foolish for us to live our lives like we can give ourselves to sexual morality or any other sin because ultimately we will be enslaved by it. And we don't have the right to enslave ourselves to something else because we are already God's. And the whole purpose of our life is to bring glory to Him. So maybe the question we should start asking ourselves after we've ran 100 miles an hour out of whatever situation it is, is what can I do today with my life that will bring glory to God? How do I glorify God in my workplace? How do I glorify God in my, 
in, in my marriage? How do I glorify God in my family? That's really what it comes down to. If you aren't excited about bringing glory to God, then you've missed just who God is because that's really what we're going to join in. The band's going to come up and we'll, we'll worship some more and sing some more. But as, we, as they do, I would encourage you to glorify God in your singing, in your worship. And that means that maybe some of you right now, you want to worship God with a free heart, but you, you find yourself always struggling to do so because you keep running from the very sin that you need to confess or repent of. You find yourself struggling to give up what God has commanded of you to give up, to, to follow him. You keep holding on to these things, assuming that they will bring happy. If I can just get a different job, if I can just do this, if we can just move, if this will happen, if this will happen. We keep putting all these other things in place, and then what ends up happening is we miss sight of the fact that in all of the things that we're doing, in our current job, in our current home, in our current circumstances, our purpose is the same as if our future job and in our future home or in our future circumstances, we are to glorify God. We are his we were bought with a price that none of us could pay, and we have no right to try and squirm ourselves out of that. When we are his, we are his for an eternity. So let's live as if we are his today. We pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to serve you. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for me. God, for the individuals that are here today that are wrestling with, wrestling with the idea of any sin, even if it is sexual immorality, God, if, they are, if they're wrestling in this way, God, I pray that you would give them Give them the understanding that they don't have to be controlled by anything. Help them to see that, that as your children, the Spirit is stronger than anything that tries to, to demean or hold over us. And Father, for, for the people in the room that are maybe not believers, they don't know Jesus, they haven't really liked it, or they've been burned by the church in the past, God, would you help them to see that, that there's a life waiting for them in you that will make every single thing they experience or hope for pale in comparison to walking with you. And God, for those of us that are in here that have maybe lost sight of you in this, and it, whether it's sexual morality or any other sin, and we've, we've become enslaved to that, God, would you um, show us that your blood is paid for that even? And we just need to repent. God, wherever we are on this journey, God, I pray that you would continue to do your work. I pray that we would continue to be faithful to serve you. And God, we would give you the glory in everything we do, in our marriages, in the way we talk to each other, in our jobs, with our kids, our friends at school as, as college is approaching. But God, in, in all this, I pray that we would just listen to those two simple commands, that we would run like the gazelle runs from the cheetah from every bit of sexual morality, whether it's a, a computer screen or a relationship, whether we think we love them or we don't love them at all. God, would we just run from those things that aren't in marriage covenant, Lord? And will we glorify you with our bodies? Would everything we do with our bodies be a glorifying thing to you? Because at the end, like your scripture says, we will be resurrected in these bodies. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.